Hello, everybody. I hope you're all well. Today, I've got another fantastic guest for you. It's David Fraser, the founder of PR agency Ready10. PR is a really important part of the marketing mix, um, but as it's difficult to really track, it's important that you, you nail down your strategy and know the reason for everything you're doing. Get it right and you really benefit. You'll notice lower CPAs in your advertising, uh, better search and, and direct traffic. But if you get it wrong, on the other hand, you, you're just throwing money away uh, and you won't really find out until it's too late. But let's get David on to explain it all. Hi, David. Thanks for joining me. Tell us a bit about yourself, your, your background and why you do what you do. Hi, Will. No problem. Good to be here. So I'm David Fraser. I'm founder and MD of a PR agency called Ready10. Uh, we've been going for four years now, set up in April 2016. Uh, we are currently the PRCA uh, Agency of the Year, and we set up to deliver consumer PR for brands with a leaning towards PR for SEO and generating PR campaigns that also deliver the result on a brand's search position. All right, sounds great. Uh, so what does a standard day look like for you at the moment? Well, maybe not at the moment. Well, well, our standard day typically would look like, it's a combination really of um, loads of different things, as is kind of the way with a lot of business owners. So that will be a little bit bit working on the business and a little bit working in the business, if that makes sense. So the on the business stuff will be kind of new business, um, pushing that through, business development, seeing what the next sort of month three months, long-term plans look like, hiring, that kind of thing, and a little bit in the business. So I'm quite involved with our campaigns, ideas, generation, uh, creativity as much as possible. Uh, At the moment, of course, it looks a bit different. Um, Like everyone, we've more or less, well, we've been home for three months. I'm actually doing this from in the office. Um, It started coming back in for kind of half a day at a time here and there the last few weeks. uh, with a couple of other colleagues, but generally we're working from home. So it's more or less the same, although I am also doing schoolwork and school teaching here and there as well, and I'm becoming quite the expert on fronted adverbials and various other things that, that year two and year five children need to learn. But apart from that, we're trying to keep it as normal as possible. Yeah, it makes sense. Cool. So do you want to tell us a bit about PR, um, and I guess what's what's your take on PR? What's your approach to it? Well, I know this podcast is about me, and I will answer that, but I'd quite like to know, as someone who isn't in PR, what would you say your perception is of, of PR? Because I'm always keen to say to try and address that and say, well, yes, that, that is what we do, and that isn't what we do. And I'm sure you will reflect. You didn't expect this, did you? I'm sure you will uh, reflect a lot of what the people listening think. What, but what I'd, I'd love to know what your perception is. Well, so my background has tended to be startups, so quite money conscious, uh, results driven. And I think my view has tended to be PR has been that thing that's a bit nice to have bigger brands do it. But what does it actually do for your business? Yeah. If that yeah. kind of makes sense. Um, and I know, well, we worked together for a bit and, um, you know, it was it was good because we actually had those KPIs in place and every yeah. campaign we could look at it and go, Right, we know uh, how, how this campaign has performed against KPIs, so we're happy, um, or, or not happy, <laughs> occasionally. But generally, yeah, I would say it's press releases and media relations and those kind of areas. Yeah, that sort of thing, and it's it's kind of what's it? 
what does it really do for the business? Yeah, so first of all, sorry for stitching you up there by turning your own question on you, and I didn't warn you either, uh, but you answered it very well. Um, it's quite, You gave quite a good answer, by the way. Most people just say, well, isn't it about kind of a bit of media and then a few lunches and all that sort of thing. Um, you're right. That, you're right in that PR has traditionally struggled to be accountable to the business bottom line which can can come back to at the same time it's almost like the Carlsberg to use a very old marketing slogan the Carlsberg was it Carlsberg or Heineken of um of marketing and that it reaches the parts that other disciplines can't reach so at its core it's the process of third-party endorsement so getting somebody else to say positive things about your brand because consumers know even ever more so now when they're being marketed to. So they know that somebody's serving them with an ad. They know if they open a newspaper, if you remember newspapers, um, that a brand is paid to be there. Uh, but PR is the process of using third parties or working with third parties and making the case for them to I guess do your marketing for you. So that tended to be journalists. There's been a bit of a period where it's people like influencers, um, but it's increasingly a broader broader band of people that will do that. That will help carry those marketing messages. Now you're right when you say that it's it's very difficult to pin it on certain business objectives, but then at the same time it can deliver magic for a brand like no one else can. So if you're a tech brand and you get a Jonathan Ross or a Stephen Fry, for example, to talk about your brand, which I have had previously, that can deliver you half a million downloads that kind of you would have to pay a hell of a lot of money for through traditional marketing channels. The reason why, they are the reasons why businesses should be thinking about it. The one thing I would say, which is sort of a tick in the box of accountability is that ever more so now uh, PR can be accountable. So I set up this agency, um, I set up Ready10 on with a kind of leaning towards PR for SEO, and that was partly down to a frustration with the unaccountability of PR. And I've been in PR a long time, and we would, we would be in a client meeting, and we might say, oh, well, we've generated 20 pieces of coverage for your brand, Mr. or Mrs. Client, and then there would be no way of knowing whether that was good or not good. However, now with analytics, with link building, with traffic measurement, PR can be ever more so accountable to the bottom line of the business. So I do think it's changing from that uh, from that side of things. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, I know... Um Nick, who was on one of the previous episodes talking about SEO, doesn't like the term link building. Um, but yeah, he he didn't mention PR specifically, but the way he talked about SEO was actually kind of similar to what, how you're describing PR for SEO, really. And that, you know, it's, it's about creating that conversation that's going on outside of, kind of outside of your control in a way, I guess. You know, it's uh, people talking about you on forums or people mentioning you on Twitter or um, people just kind of organically using your brand name as an example of a company in an industry in an article that they're writing. 
Yeah, we are, we're in earned, we earn attention for our clients. We talk about ourselves as an earned media agency, primarily through PR. um, And we don't talk about us, although I, I may have mentioned it as a tactic, we don't consider ourselves link builders. We build conversations. However, at the other end, when we get to being accountable, one of the ways we're accountable uh, would be through the results we can get on an SEO performance, i.e. through the links that will naturally appear um, in the pieces that we generate. Yeah, so it's, it's one of the end results that you can actually say, uh, you know, this is, a, this is something we've achieved for you outside of just a piece of coverage. Um, Presently, yeah. Especially as, you know, link building is quite a well-known uh, tactic or topic. So if you, I guess it's, it's almost the way of, I suppose, dumbing down the conversation a bit and saying, we know you know about link building. So we're saying the results we drive are links and they, and potential client goes, partly, oh, okay, I get that. Partly, but also don't underestimate the power of a piece of coverage. I'll give you an example. When we're working with early stage startups, they're desperate. They're desperate for a good-looking piece of coverage that doesn't necessarily drive customers. And the reason why they're often looking for that is because they want to go into funding conversations and they want to do their next round of funding. And, and, and showing proof of concept and that media has an interest in it has a huge value to clients like that. So it, the, the output depends on the particular client. We, we have focused in on um, SEO and, and the value of links, but there's a whole range of areas and outputs that provide huge value to a client, depending on the particular brief that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can imagine a lot of tech startups, if they can, quite a big focus is getting themselves on uh, places like TechCrunch. It's just one of those, like a, I guess, like a gold standard place to be. You get yourself right. mentioned on Tech TechCrunch, right? Yeah. And there's no, and there's, there's no algorithm, there's no customer journey that can ever prove any value in that in this scenario to that business. However, I know from type, from many many examples that anecdotally it can have a huge effect on the business. That's always been PR's problem: is its measurability or accountability. Um, but if it didn't work, it wouldn't be an industry that is currently 115 years old or whatever it is and still enduring and still growing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so what are the first things you do when you're starting with a new client? I guess the first thing that we want to know is what's the problem that you want PR to solve for you. So is it what, what do you want it to uh, achieve? What do you want? How do you want your business to change as a result from using PR? Uh, and, and as I say, what do you want it to deliver for you? So, be that footfall, bums on seats, revenue, eyeballs on the website, maybe you know, getting nice big big pieces of coverage that help raise the brand. As I've said before, um, helping early stage startups, for example, get into better conversations with better potential uh, funders. It's really about honing down on what problem you want it to solve. From there, we'll, so I guess you'll kind of, if, if they haven't written a brief already, then we will sort of write one together and we will respond to that. And the response we will give 
will, will be how we think that we can best deliver the answer to that problem. And then we go away and build the campaign and do the campaign. As you said before, when we worked together, we're quite keen on KPIs. Uh, they're not everything. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that need to go into a relationship other than KPIs, but to have key performance indicators and, and measure, measures of our performance is really important. So that's one of the things that we do very early on in a relationship with the client as well. Yeah, it wasn't the most important thing, but it, gave, it kind of gave us a measure of, just a, a measure of how well a, a campaign had been received. And that, I think you know, that quite often influenced what we would do next. Um, I think we had some work, I mean, working with you, uh, I think we had some stat-based campaigns that performed really well. So we started focusing more on those and yeah. less on the kind of, um, I think there was some more like opinion piece-based uh, topics, which just didn't, didn't seem like they'd done as much. So we focused on what we kind of could see those results from. Look, I, I guess there's, there's usually the challenges, the problems that need solving are one of a handful of things invariably. One is fame. That's quite often what we're asked to generate. A client wants to be better now, wants their brand awareness raised. Another one, as we've talked about, is um, SEO performance. So they want some links to be built off the back of content. Then there can be kind of a whole range of things from obvious, quite sort of rational marketing things. We're launching a new website. We want people to know about that. We're launching a new product. How can we communicate that? We want to be part of a certain conversation that's happening culturally. How can we be part of that? And then there's, I guess, the problems or crisis and issues. We have this kind of bump in the road coming up, sometimes quite quickly uh, and quite swiftly. How can we negotiate our way around that? And what's the best way to communicate with our audiences around that? Um, there's probably several more that, that I've forgotten about. Uh, but I would say invariably they often fall into one of those areas that I've just mentioned. Yeah. Okay. And so are there any uh, like myths or misconceptions about what PR is or can do for a brand? Well, there's loads of myths and misconceptions about PR. I keep hearing about long lunches and um, kind of going out on boozy days out with journalists and clients. I've been in PR nearly 17 years. I, I feel like I just haven't been invited to all of these um, because they're invariably few and far between. Um, so that that um, sort of side of it, that, that misconception, that there's a sort of real, if anyone remembers AbFab, which was based on a certain section of the PR industry, TV show quite a long time ago, that probably exists somewhere now, but I would say it, it, it's, um, it's, it's few and far between. It's, it's, there's a lot more to it than that. I would say misconceptions about PR is, is often um, that the media are interested in your story. <laughs> uh, if I'm kind of really cut to it and I'm pretty harsh about it, I think clients and brands are often quite introspective and think that they, you know, they're, they're launching a new, um, they're kind of launching a new, a new pencil. And to them, they've been working on it for four years and it's the most revolutionary pencil out there. And that's good and that's really important. And there's a lot of people who will be interested in that. But 
a client can't come to an agency and assume that everybody else is as invested in it as they are. And so one of the big misconceptions is the newsworthiness, the inherent newsworthiness often of the client's starting point. There needs to be a lot of work done on that to kind of earn attention and earn, and earn media. Um, I, this is probably also a controversial one, which even my own colleagues disagree with. But PR, is, there's a lot of conversation in PR around it's sort of who you know in your contacts. And I, I, in terms of media, you know, if you know the right journalist, then, then you'll fly into the paper. I've never really subscribed to that. I, I've always thought that your content, the standard of your content, your creativity and your, your USP is much more powerful. And that if you have a good story and a good piece of content, that will, get, that will interest the newspapers more than who you know. So I would say there's an over-reliance, a misconception in my eyes is an over-reliance on kind of contacts and the black book, which maybe in the 80s and 90s worked, but I don't think so now. I think now the important thing is creativity and the strength of the content that you have. Yeah, I think uh, you made a good last point there about the over-reliance on it. Because I don't, you know, there must be value in it. Um, You know, if, if you have a good relationship with a, a journalist it must be a lot easier to get your story in front of them uh, and, and at least considered um, whereas if, if you don't have any contacts yeah but it can, it can get you in front of them but if you've got a junk story they're still not going to publish it whereas yeah, if you've yeah. got a right story and no contacts you will you will get it published and the best way you know the, the best time saver is to have a great story it saves so much time, so much contacting journalist time, so much selling in, because if you've got a great piece of content and a great story, the creativity and the originality of that does the best marketing for you. Um, and so that, that to me, is, is king and has always been king over sort of anything else, really. It's the same as with all marketing, really. It's the quality, isn't it? You know, if the quality of your advertising is is good you'll get people clicking through if the quality of your website is good you'll get people converting um and if you if one of those bits is wrong uh it doesn't then the other bit doesn't matter um and like you know if if you're the content that you're trying to push out to journalists is rubbish yeah it's not going to get picked up What, what do you think about press releases just the idea of the press release um, I still think they have a they have a place. Um, to be honest, I think I, I think people get get their get themselves in knots about this when they don't really need to. So the actual format of it has changed over the years. Of course, like probably once it was delivered, hand, it was hand delivered to news desks. Then probably shortly before I got into PR, it was faxed, and then it started being emailed. But you still need good copy. That's only the delivery mechanism of the press release. What is in it, the content, is the most important bit. And the most important bit is good copy, interesting, engaging, and well-written. And content creators, marketers, PRs are writing this every day. So you can call it something else if you want. You can call it an email shot, or you can call it copy or whatever. But it's it's all really the same as a press release. Um, we're writing those for our brands every day 
The only thing that's changed is the delivery mechanism, as far as I can see. But people appreciate well-written stuff, good stuff, and they want stuff. They want understandable stuff that they can process and make a judgment on quickly. So I, I don't think it's. I don't see it going away. Um, that's it's it's. See a lot of discussion around the future of them that doesn't tally with the frequency in which they are written and also used and wanted by media. Yeah, so it's a bit like the uh, email email is dead sort of thing. There's a few people are saying it, but when you look at the evidence, it's clear that you know they're still in use, still going to be used for a long time. Well, what what I, I think is an, what's the alternative? What are we talking about? What 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 are people saying is the alternative to a press release? It's the same thing. They're just going to call it it's the same thing, which is four or five paragraphs of really good copy with uh, a headline, a snappy intro, the kind of all the questions answered in the opening paragraph, who, what, where, how. It's just what it, w- it will just be on an email instead uh, and not called a press release. But really, it's it's the same thing as far as I can see. Yeah, I suppose maybe if. Um Maybe if a press release is perceived to be a bit more like an announcement by brands. So as, right. it, as in, so they use it, they, they use this press release as a, uh, just letting you know, we've launched a new website or a new app. And it's that kind of, yeah, there isn't a story there, but there's something that they feel, I, I, I don't know, is important to sure. let people know and actually... Yeah, I guess it just comes down to there is no story. There's nothing interesting there. So why is the journalist going to pick it up? Right. Which, that again is not a new kind of conversation. A press release has to be of interest to the reader. And if it's not of interest, then it's not going to get picked up anywhere. So the, uh, the least introspection the better I think with all these things in all our press releases they have to they have to be newsworthy sometimes that means the client message coming a bit further down than the client might want to but usually they understand that and, and kind of engage with PR knowing that what they have is, is a bit too self self-serving yeah so if um, if someone's I don't know, starting a new brand or, or had a relatively new brand um, or business, what what can they be doing or, or thinking about in terms of PR in those early days? Well, message is important. I think they need to hone down the message that they want to put out and they need to really deeply ask themselves what the customer wants which probably involves them asking someone other than themselves and other than their family and friends who are going to tell them all the things that they want to hear. Just with launching an agency and kind of going around from in 2016 and trying to sell ourselves probably took me about 18 months until I was happy with what our sales pitch was and that it was clear enough and that I could be as clear as I wanted to be. I think the message is really really important um and they have to make sure that that what they're putting out there is of relevance as far as kind of approaching their pr and doing their their pr i guess they need they i would say to them really do what any person in pr would do which is have a look at the media that people want you want to be in understand that media, understand what those websites or those newspapers or those media organisations 
are writing about. Give them something that you think stands a chance of them writing about it. Give them something that's of relevance to their readers. Um, I totally get that loads of people will, will want to start with their own PR and announcements and imagery and so on. Every brand really reaches a point where probably they need to go to someone else and PR is a professional service and and it's kind of, I would approach it the same as if anyone was using a, a, an accountant or something like that. Of course, everybody can can do their own tax return, but for kind of complex answers to complex questions, you're going to go to a professional. And so hopefully, I would hope that people uh, would come to places like us and agencies like us to really sort of help them, help propel them and get them in front of their audiences uh, as best as possible and as accurately as possible. Like, you know, at the early stages where you can't afford it, you can't afford it. But um, yeah, once once you've grown a bit or if you've got some funding, it makes sense to to hire experts, doesn't it? Just like you would with any other aspect of the business. Um, you know, you, you, it, does. it does. I would say you, you can't afford bad PR, though. And a mistake that I often see people making is a race to the bottom uh choosing a pr consultant based on price not on quality and what ends up happening is those brands will waste a really really hard fought over and saved marketing budget by going for something too cheap and 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 of course i would love them to come to kind of uh, places like us but i would say the better alternative is to wait their alternative in that scenario is to like what you're saying if you're kind of doing your own carry on doing your own because also there's a point where no one's really going to know your business as well as you and particularly if you're kind of really bootstrapped from the from the start um that passion is going to come through in any communications yeah absolutely so I guess continuing on that thing then, uh, are there any other big or common mistakes you see in, in PR strategies? I suppose there's often the mistake of doing something. There's lots of brands that do stuff that's completely random and tangential, if, if that's the right word, to their brand and what they're trying to do. And almost sort of in, in, in PR terms, like generating coverage for the sake of coverage but it doesn't really do anything and it hasn't really got a point to it and I think the key thing there is to link everything back to business objectives um, and whatever again what I said before what's the problem that PR is solving and if it doesn't do that even if it's nice and shiny and you think it will make people laugh and smile it's probably not worth doing everything has to have a connection back to business objectives we've got a model that we apply to our campaigns which we call hearts minds and bottom lines and that's where we hopefully throw everything into the mix so kind of human insights that people will identify with data points that show a trend but it's all got to point down back to the bottom line what's the thing that that business wants to do what's that thing that business wants to sell what's the objective of that pr campaign and the biggest mistake is PR strategies that don't do any of that, that just exist for the sake of existing or for the sake of getting rid of some budget that really have nothing to do with anything and is kind of just fluff sent out into the ether uh, that doesn't really move the needle on anything. PR is one of those things that kind of comes across as a, a thing every brand should do. It's it just kind of, it's one of those things on, in the marketing mix 
that people go, right, what's our PR strategy? What do we do next with that? And so I guess, yeah, maybe because it's one of those things that is more difficult to track and actually attribute you know, results to, um, yeah, maybe it is quite easy to get stuck into a, you know, a, a relationship with, with a PR consultant or whatever, whoever who is, makes themselves kind of obvious to you and makes it seem like they're doing lots of work, but actually there's, there's not much in terms of result coming out of it. Or like you said, um, you know, they're getting pieces of exposure, but that exposure is actually meaningless. Um, well, I see what you're saying. Although I would say the vast majority of uh, PR practitioners are doing a good, honest job and are delivering probably what they said they were going to do. The mistake, maybe this comes back to this previous question, the mistake that's often made is a misconception about what PR is, is going to do for you. Uh, and if a client goes into that without their eyes open, then there can be trouble. The thing that everybody really that around the table that's that's about to launch a PR campaign or is writing a PR strategy needs to appreciate is that it is uncertain. And it's uncertain because of the nature of, of what's being done, which is to rely on earned media. You're relying on a third party to communicate something about the brand. Now, that is incredibly exciting because it's much more powerful. People react better to reading editorial than they do to reading ads. And when it works, it works well. But on the flip side, that of course comes with the risk of perhaps ceding some control to that content, that publisher, um, and a risk that it might not do exactly you want, what you want it to do. So the answer to that probably is to have realistic expectations about what PR can do, can't do, and in some cases may well do. Um, because that's that's often a it off, that often ends up with an accusation that uh, the agency's not doing their job properly or the agency's not doing well. And honestly, it, it's only in very few cases that I, I see that's that's fair comment or the case. It's usually really kind of a case of mismatched expectations from the start. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what, do you think there are any big trends coming up or, or what do you think the trends will be in the next sort of 12 to 18 months in kind of consumer focused PR? Well, it's very hard to answer that question because we are four months in to the first epi global epi uh, pandemic that any one of us can remember. So the, the, the accurate answer to that question is who knows? Um, but there's going to be, look, you can see with, so where are we now? We're, we're sort of in July and the, uh, the, the, the job retention scheme is closing in the next few months. That, mean, that points to a push on more self-sufficiency, if that's a word, in the economy for people to get back to work, companies to start trading again. That means there's going to be a recovery period. And so for us and our clients, that's going to be messages about kind of we're back, consumer offers, trying to push consumer behavior to where it was before March. And that's obviously going to be front and center of everything else. As far as kind of the trends like there and beyond there, I think there's been a lot of interesting developments in the last few years that are you're going to see continue. So we've talked loads about PR for SEO today and the link between PR and marketing performance 
uh, I think PR now with ever more reliance on data and more link linking pun intended to kind of Google um, is going to, you're going to see PR linked much more to business objectives and outcomes. Um, the last few years, PR has been increasingly getting more respect and getting more of a foot, uh, sorry, a seat at the table um, with brands within their broader marketing mix. And I think that will continue as well. Uh, and probably the final one I would I would say is is look marketing now is ever more linked to purpose and purpose messaging, and I don't think that is going anywhere either. So the the, the headline answer is pandemic recovery, and then everything else is kind of continuation of some of the really interesting trends um, that we've seen in the last few years. Um, yeah, that would kind of be my take on that. Okay, yeah. Do you think um, so? Do you think PR will, uh, when you say it's aligned more to the to the objectives, um, do you think PR can kind of feed into the business a bit more? Um, so instead of trying to you know generate just generate conversation and and get the exposure, um, it, can it actually be kind of picking up on how people are feeling about whether it's a brand or an industry or whatever? And actually making sure that messaging is understood by the company internally so that they can adapt you know their other marketing uh, messaging and channels and things yeah so well I guess there's a couple of things on that so first of all a lot of companies have invested quite heavily in, in internal comms and internal PR and that's not an area that I work in but as far as I can see and from everything I read that's not that that is only uh, continuing to grow as companies kind of seen that see their own internal audiences as something quite important but the other point to make is that in recent years you've seen a kind of a blurring of the boundaries between pay between all the marketing disciplines really and where almost everything for for loads of brands is a race to have the best earned content that's been really good for the PR industry because that means the PR industry, PRs have a seat at the table earlier and there's nothing worse or more frustrating than a PR consultancy or a PR person getting a campaign or getting to be involved in a campaign very late in the process. It's much more powerful, much more relevant to be involved as early as possible. I think it's now ever more vital to be there, feeding in those insights, talking about kind of those angles and those strategies and i that has been going in the right direction as far as we're concerned and i think that will continue yeah i agree i think that's a that's definitely a really important one um especially as you know from the com- some of the other conversations i've had on this podcast other marketing channels do tend to be a lot more data and optimization focused so you know the ppc the facebook ad people um are just much more focused on the numbers and making small tweaks here and there to improve improve the click through rate and and things like that. Um, whereas I think on the you know the PR side, it's much more about messaging, positioning, um, understanding consumers. And so I think yeah, f- being able to feedback or feed in earlier uh, into a project is is really really important. Absolutely. Um, so just a couple of bits. About- more on your preferences and things uh, when it comes to marketing. Uh, do you have any pet peeves in marketing, uh, e- either as a 
a marketer in the industry or as a uh, as a consumer? Um, well, my, I've, I've got a colleague listening in on the other side of the office and, and she's just started to motion to list about 17 different things. She's laughed as you've asked the question. Um, probably lots of things. I would say... I would say what I really don't like is what I would call vanity marketing or vanity consultancy, which really comes back to this idea of giving a client something or, or embarking on a marketing campaign that doesn't mean anything, that is just there for the sake of looking good and doesn't either give the consumer anything relevant and doesn't tie back into business objectives. Um, it's just really important to do that. That's why we exist. We exist to deliver a bottom line for clients, and that can mean loads of different things. It can mean sales. It can also mean, you know, we work for lots of not-for-profits and for charities. It can also be really important messaging, and it can be communicating well, quickly, swiftly, and adding a lot of value in a crisis campaign. It can mean different things. But anything that is just there for the sake of kind of awards bait or stuff that is there to look good is kind of my pet pet peeve make it relevant make it right for the client and right for the audience yeah so i guess that includes stuff where uh it just seems like a really exciting opportunity inside the company um you know it's where whether it's something staff can be involved in or whatever um but yeah actually when you really think about it the consumers won't care it's not going to do anything for the business. So, yeah, what's, what's the point Go in it? To the consumer. Go straight to the consumer. And, and even, like, so I think a lot of stuff is, is knocked out for that reason. So, uh, you know, there is, I'll give you an example. In our industry, I'm sure every industry has this, there is there's a cliche about floating something down the Thames for a, for a um, like, PR stunt and a consumer PR stunt and as a result there's a lot of kind of intellectual conversation in the industry about how this is a tired thing to do and a tired tactic and so on now I have never floated anything down the Thames but I also think don't 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 count that out do the research if the go to the consumer if the consumer is engaging with a piece of content that involved that I would do it tomorrow go to the consumer Go straight there, see what they want, see what they engage with, and don't deviate from that kind of don't, no navel gazing or creating creating creative for the sake of other creatives, if that is not too many of the same word in one <laughs> sentence. But just do stuff that is delivering on for your end consumer, because that is what we're here for. Yeah, exactly. I think um uh, I guess another kind of similar example is, um, you know, with innocent smoothies on the bottom of the packs and I think underneath the bottle cap, you get that little short sentence, little comment. Yes. Um, and so apparently the guy who came up with all that actually really doesn't like it, um, thinks it's gone a bit far. But I think also right. it's something where you know you notice it on other brands and it doesn't have that same impact because it's it's almost like they're trying to do it because they've seen it work for another brand and they want to do it and i guess it's similar with that uh sailing you know floating something down the thames uh you know people have seen companies do it and get a lot of attention for it 
and thought, well, we need to do that. That's something that will give us some attention. And then they end up, I guess, spending maybe a few thousand pounds doing it. And there's just no, there's no reason for it. Um, well, yes, if that is the result. But I guess what I'm saying is also do it if there is a reason for doing it. Like, like don't have a snobbery about doing it just because you're scared about what other creatives are going to say. EE spent a lot of money on sending Stormzy down the Thames about eight, nine months ago. It was absolutely derided from our, for, by our industry. Meanwhile, it was front page of about three newspapers. So my question is, what do will, if, if consumers like it, that is more important than what other people in the industry think. So... I agree with you. If it's not good, that is the only thing that matters. If it's not going to work for consumers, don't do it. If it does, do do it, but don't pay any attention to what the rest of the industry think because that's not who your customer is. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's, it, people are too close to it, aren't they? It's that, yeah, being too close to the industry and uh, kind of making those mistakes, isn't it? Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Overthinking yeah. it a little bit. Overthinking um, it and, and, and playing to the gallery a bit too much rather than what your customer is going to engage with. Yeah. So finally, um, if you could kill off one particular marketing channel or tactic, what would it be? I'm going to say a part of influencer marketing. I do think there's a value in the right sort of influencer marketing but not in that kind of that meaningless bit at the bottom, which is reality stars, meaningless celebrities to peddle something to an audience that they don't really have for the sake of meeting a KPI and making a marketing and social manager very happy. Kind of comes back to really the theme that I've sort of warmed to over the last half an hour, which is marketing that's got no relevance to your end user. So I would say there is a role for mark for influencer communications, but way too much of it is meaningless at the moment, and so kill it. Fair enough. That's good, sir. Um, cool. Well, thanks for that. Um, it's been uh, really, really interesting. Obviously, it's um, you know, I my view on PR was a little different. It's been good to actually uh, kind of talk through that, explain it. So thank Sorry you. about you. Yeah. <laughs> And if, uh, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about what you do, how, how can they do that? Yeah, so our website is ready10, that's, uh, so 10 the, the numbers, ready10.media. Um, we're on Twitter and all social channels. We're on Twitter at ready10 or I'm on Twitter at David E. Fraser. Perfect. Thanks, David. No worries, Will. So as we heard from David, PR is all about working with third parties so they do your marketing for you. A tweet from a huge influencer can do so much more for your business, uh, not just in terms of the traffic or sales it can generate you, but it's also a huge piece of social proof. PR is all about creating that conversation that happens outside of your control and is becoming increasingly accountable through uh, links and uh, you know online tracking and the, the piece of uh, coverage that are generated for you online. I really liked how David described PR as an earned media channel. It ties in really well with what Will Stewart-Jones mentioned previously about earned data if you're genuinely good at what you do and you can create good content that provides value to others, you'll get coverage and conversation in return. If you'd like to know more about PR, reach out to David on LinkedIn or drop me an email to will at customerswhoclick.com. In the next episode, I've got Matt Barnett from Bonjuro talking about how brands can use personalized video to improve customer loyalty. 
But until then, keep those cusses clicking.